0: beautiful light cue suggests that we're about to start we should do that every time good morning oh ye brave ones through the wet snow come on in race to your seats first person down gets a prize (laughs) erin that was some good running well i'm so excited to uh to sing anthems about our King. I'm still on a spiritual high from Friday for whoever was there. Sounds of the city was at 2.42. One, yeah, there's one word I have for that night, for Friday, and it's holy. It Just everything felt so holy. One of my favorite comments was, um, there was a young guy in his 20s who literally missed everything, the, the, the worship, the prayer, the post-worship. He showed up for putting chairs away. He raced from work just to be in the presence of God for the 15, 20 minutes, the aftermath of being in a space where there was worship. I was like, what 20-year-old does that? That was That was so moving to me. He knew that where God's praise is going up, there is the Spirit of God. So this morning, we're gonna keep the party going. Robin's gonna lead us out and there's no place I'd rather be And Robin, I did this to you last time you were here, but would you pray us in?
1: Lord, we so welcome you into our place here. We welcome your presence, your Holy Spirit moving in and through us. We so adore you, Lord. We so adore you. We welcome you, we welcome you in your majesty, in your glory, in your triumph. We honor and praise you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Well, I'm inviting everybody up to the front to worship with us.
1: i would rather be no place i would would rather rather be than here in your love here in your love so set a fire down in my soul that i can't contain and i can't control i want more of you god i want more of you god set a fire down in my soul That I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that i can't contain and i can't control i want more of you god i want more of you god be, no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I would rather be, no place I would rather be, no place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't
2: You are the trail I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough, take me back to where we started. I open up
0: And the Father sings over you
3: You're so worthy of our love. You're more worthy than we're able to even express. So, Lord, would you help us to do that? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help us to love? I can distinctly remember a moment in my room probably in my early 20s and uh, had this moment where life wasn't really going like I thought it would go, like you have in your early 20s and and then in your 30s and 40s so far. (laughs) But, But I remember this moment of recognizing, like, I don't love God and I want to, and I recognize that I should love him but I didn't love him like I should. It was a mental affirmation that he was worthy of love, but without the connection in my heart. I talked to my mom about that and she gave me the kind of wisdom that only mothers and fathers can. She said, tell God that and ask him to help you love him. And so tears, by myself in my room. I confessed to the Lord that I didn't love him and I didn't know how to love him. But I said, Lord, will you teach me to love you? Will you give me the ability to love you? God, will you help me love you? And he's answered that prayer. And every day, probably the most common thing I pray is, God, help me love you. Help me love you more. Because every day, he's worthy. And every day, I want to love him more than I did the day before. So I want to say this to you, if you're in that place this morning where you're kind of looking around, like, people are crazy. Like, they, like, love the Lord. Yeah, they do. And that's good. And it's possible. Just confess to the Lord, Lord, I don't love you, but I want to. I know I should, Lord, would you help me love you? If you love the Lord, but you recognize you want to love him more, there's more that's possible. And so pray and say, just God, would you help me love you? Let's just take a few moments as a church, right where you're at, you can take a seat. It's you and the Lord and all of your family together. But would you just pray to the Lord and ask him to help you love him more. Let's pray. Lord, you're worthy of our love, more than we could ever express, more than we could ever give. Lord, I ask you to open the eyes of our hearts to see how great your love is for us and that the right response in our own hearts would be to love you more. Holy Spirit, you give us the will to do that and you give us the ability to do that. And so we continue to surrender to your will and your power in our lives, leading us to love the Lord with all of our mind, with all of our heart, and with all of our body. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. Kids, you are dismissed. Uh, the room leaders in the back, they'll take you to your rooms, and parents, you can pick up your kids after service lets out. Uh, thank you, everyone skated and slid on in here this morning. Oh, yeah, I was shocked. Like, I, I went outside, and I thought it was supposed to be raining, and I was like, oh, this is this is not good. And, like, I actually sat in my car, like, without warming up, and I was like, Lord, get me to church safely. Amen. Like, no, Lord, like... <laughs> get me to church safely. <laughs> so I was doing some praying for me and uh, for all of you as well. Um, one announcement is that this Saturday at 10 a.m. right here, we have the women's group will be meeting. And so I can't encourage you enough to come to that from 10 to noon, I won't be there, but uh, it's a great gathering of just time of fellowship, eating together, praying over each other, encouraging each other, and the Lord's just doing a really beautiful thing there. And so, um, I invest your time wisely and grow in what it means to be a part of the family of God. Grow in the place of receiving encouragement. Grow in the place of receiving ministry. And grow in the place of being able to minister to others as well. So coming out here at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, and you will be blessed. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. we We're And on week four of going through this one chapter, uh, and I think it's gonna be five weeks, Lord willing, um, I always say that, but the Lord's like, why can't you just be willing to teach it in one week? And I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm, I'm still getting there. <clears throat> but we've been looking at what, what it means to live a fruitful life. And this is what Jesus is really unpacking for us in this chapter is he wants us to bear much fruit. He says that we were appointed to bear much fruit. It brings glory to the Father when we live a life bearing fruit that lasts. It's, it's his good pleasure for us to live a life that is fruitful. Now, the problem with Jesus saying that is that the idea of fruitful can be very different to every one of us. Our idea of what a fruitful life is or what it looks like or what the world would look like if this was a world filled with fruitful people can be very different from what Jesus had. So there has to be a vision which exists inside of our mind that connects us to what it is that Jesus is saying. Now, the reason that I'm so bad at art is because I have no vision. Um, You know, people who are artists, I took an art appreciation class, you know, one of those like J-term college classes. You got to fill up the credits. And so I was like, art appreciation seems like it won't be very strenuous. So I'm going to do that one, get my A, call it good. And I did that. And I remember going to a museum and and we're walking by, and I don't care about art because I want to be good. But every time I sit down to draw, I have no vision. Like I can't see what to draw. And I remember walking by a Monet and they're talking about it. And I'm like, all right, and that kind of one. Oh. Huh. And I'm like leaning as close as they let you get with that little thing. And I was just like, this is beautiful. I never knew that a painting could be so beautiful. And I'm looking at it, and the more I look at it, the more I love it's, you know, the water, one of his million water lily paintings that he did. But I'm looking at it, and just the Impressionist style of painting, the layering, the texture that exists there, the way that it doesn't show you photorealistic, you get to engage your imagination to capture a picture of the beauty. And I was just like, this blows my mind. And I became a lover of Impressionist paintings. And now, like, my bookmarks are Impressionist paintings. And like, like, I just love it. I love looking at books. I love going to museums. Because what happened was, Now I I could see something. This master painter had a vision of something that he was then able to create. But when we live our life without a vision of what it is that we want to create, you will never be able to create it. And so if we're approaching Jesus and what it means to be a fruitful life, we just start filling in the blanks ourselves, or if we don't have vision inside of our mind of, what does the fruitful life look like? You'll be like me. You just sit at a blank page and you don't do anything or you'll start going off and producing fruit in your life that isn't at all a part of what Jesus has called us to be. So we had to keep coming back to Jesus. You've called us to live a fruitful life. We were appointed for this. We were created for this. It brings glory to God when we do this, and we all want Jesus to receive glory from the life we live. But Jesus, we're really bad at knowing what the fruitful life is. We start making it about money, Vacation homes, our retirement account, retiring early. We start making about finding Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. We start, you know, like doing, living our life through our kids and their hockey league, like all of these different things. But Jesus, what is your vision for the fruitful life that we were appointed for? So Jesus speaks to this in John 15. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Now, Jesus is giving us the keys in this for living a life producing lasting fruit. And he says, we have to remain in him. Uh, We have to remain in him to be fruitful. You cannot become disconnected from him. He is your source of life. He is the source of nourishment. He is the one that does the producing of the fruit. We can't do that on our own. That's why he says, if you become disconnected, you cut a branch off of a vine, that branch doesn't become fruitful. It withers and it dies. It loses its ability to be fruitful. So he says, we have to remain in him and allow him to remain in us. He says we have to remain in his love. That doesn't mean that you can do something to remove yourself from the love of Jesus. There is nothing you can do that will make it so that God does not love you. But what it does is because he loves us, he creates an environment for us, for our flourishing for our ability to produce fruit. He creates commands that act as barriers and guardrails for our life so that we can live in a place of where we are producing fruit instead of producing destruction or producing bad fruit. So we remain connected to him, he remains in us, Uh, we remain in the confines of his love that he's given us. And then he says that we uh, remain in his love by obeying him. He says, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. And so if you're living a life of great connectedness to him, you're living in him, he's in you, you're not becoming disconnected, you're choosing to remain in his love, the only thing you have to do now is to obey his commands. And we're like, all right, Jesus, I'm not real thrilled about having to obey commands, but like what, what are, what's the commands that you want to give me? And he doesn't leave us wondering about what this command is, He says that very last thing as he's wrapping up this teaching on a life of fruitfulness, the last thing he says is, this is my command, love each other. Love each other. The end of a teaching on how we live a life of fruitfulness, how we fulfill God's vision for the world, is he says, obey this command, love each other. Now, what we always do is we come to scriptures, like, all right, Lord, like, give me three keys to spiritual breakthrough. Right, Lord, I, I want you to show me how it is that I can travail and be victorious, uh, you know, in all things. I want to be a conqueror in Christ. Like, I, we keep looking for these different things. Uh, we look for, God, how is it that I grow my brand? How is it that I can increase my platform? Like, what's the verse in here that's going to, You know, like revolutionize my marriage in seven days. Like we always come to scriptures looking for these hidden things in there and we ignore the actual obvious commands that Jesus is giving us. He gives us this simple command, love each other. All right, Lord, good news. It is the year of our Lord, 2024. We've put aside all of the past barbarism of you know, previous generations, and we're at the point where we recognize the value of every life, that every life has value and they're all worthy of love. Lord, I love all people. That's a mental agreement that you may have, but that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. So there's lots of different ways we use the word love. Um, I love pizza. I know you can't believe it by looking at me, uh, but (laughs) but I love pizza. I love deep dish pizza. I love Neapolitan pizza. I love pizza, but I also love my wife. Very different meanings to what it means to love pizza and to love my wife. There's a very different meaning to saying that I love all humanity and then coming into agreement with what Jesus says about his command to love each other. So how does Jesus want us to love each other? Again, he gets very specific about these things, and it's very clear. He says in chapter 12, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus didn't command us just to have a general love for people. He didn't say just agree that every life has worth and value because they were created in my image. He tells us that he wants us to love each other in the same way that he loves us. That's costly. Jesus, that seems like a really hard command. But if we want to remain in his love, if we want to live a life that is fruitful, we have to learn to love each other in the same way that Jesus loves us. And remember now, how does does Jesus love us? Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, verse nine says, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. It just keeps getting harder. The way that Jesus loves us is the same way that God the Father loves God the Son. That it's perfect love. It's love that we can't even wrap our minds around. It's full, complete love. If anyone was ever deserving of receiving the Father's love, it's Jesus, and Jesus is God. God's worthy of perfect love. The way that God loves, God the Father loves God the Son is perfect, it's pure, it's complete. We can't even understand the fullness and the depths of that kind of love. But we'd also agree that that should be. But then we think about the fact that Jesus loves us. Like, messed up me with my failures and my faults and my fears and my disobedience and the harm that I've done to other people and and the way that I've disobeyed and rebelled against him. I'm not, I don't deserve to be loved the way that Jesus deserves to be loved. And yet, Jesus says that's the way he loves us. Undeserving how perfect his love is for us. When you understand that Jesus loves you the way that the Father loves Jesus, it'll revolutionize your understanding of God's love. And then when you understand that the way that Jesus loves you, that perfect, pure, complete way is the way that he's called you to love others. I honestly, you just wanna throw in the towel at that point. It's like, I, I, I literally cannot do this Jesus. It's something that I can't do because we look at the way that he loved. And again, don't just keep it generalities because we can all fill in the blank in ways that Jesus has loved us or not loved us. But how did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? He does it by humbling himself. He doesn't count equality with God something to be grasped, meaning that even though he is God, he's giving up some of what that means. He's taking on human flesh, human flesh that gets sick, human flesh that gets old and that dies. He's taking on human flesh, the humility of that. Being worshiped and adored as God, the creator of all things, the one who always has been, the one who's perfect, and coming down and being born, into a stable, into poverty, into a despised race in an occupied land. He entered into the fullness of the humility of what it means to be human in a fallen world with broken, unjust systems. He didn't set himself apart from that. He didn't come to a palace. He didn't come with great power and authority that he exerted over people to make his life better. He entered into the fullness of the humility of what it means to be human. That's the way that he loved us. He gave up what he was entitled to, to love others, to love us. Every time I have a stomach bug, and you know how miserable you are, and you're like, oh, Jesus, like, heal me. Like, I'll do anything. Like, I'll be a missionary. I'll give all my money to like, like Jesus, if you just, I don't wanna throw up again. Like, you know that. Now I think about it, like, Jesus, you entered into this. World. Like, Why would you do that? I would do anything to get out of this. You gave up everything to enter into it. That's love. Sad reality of our world is that a lot of you have gone through horrific abuse at the hands of others that never should have happened to you. And it's scarred you and it's caused trauma inside of you. Deep wounds and scars. You would do anything to get out of that. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven to enter into that, to know what it means to be abused, to be beaten, to be rejected, to be killed. He knows. He entered into that. That's love. The one who has authority over all and all power, he puts a towel around himself, and he takes the basin of water, and he does what only the slaves do. People who had been enslaved, who all power had been taken away from them, and they were degraded, they were dehumanized, they were made to wash the animal dung from the feet of guests in the house. The lowest job there was. Jesus willingly enters into that to demonstrate love for us. Love that we don't deserve. He humbled himself, he served us. He called us when we were far from him. He pursued us when we were lost. He forgave us when we sinned. He was willing to be mocked, rejected, despised, hated, ridiculed, and tortured as his way of expressing love to us. And ultimately he went to the cross and he died for us. Why? Because when we were living as enemies, when we were rejecting him and rebelling against him, he loved us and called us into a place of friendship with him. Jesus loved us in a way that cost him everything. And he says, that's the way I'm calling you to love each other. No reserves, holding nothing back, willing to be wronged, willing to give up what you're entitled to, to express love to others, to be moved with compassion and mercy, to enter into the suffering of others. What we do, like, cracks me up. Like, you know, you always see, like you hear like the rags to riches story and you always see someone who understands pain and suffering and financial insecurity, health issues, whatever it may be, and then like, some, like they write a song or they learn to hit a ball. Like, you know, something happens and they get all kinds of wealth. And what do they do with it? They use that wealth to separate themselves from human suffering as much as possible. That's human nature. That's not love. What Jesus does is he gives up everything he has and everything that he's entitled to not just for the people who are really awesome and are good to him, he even says this. Some people are willing to lay down their life for a good man. You know, for your spouse, for your children, you'd be willing to lay your life down for them. Maybe have a really close friend, like I would lay my life down for them. Nobody's laying their life down for their enemies. In fact, if someone was shooting at you and your enemy was behind you, you'd probably be like, whoop. The Lord's justice has prevailed. That's not what Jesus does though. He dies for his enemies, not just his friends, not just the righteous, not those who deserve it. He lays his, down, his life down for those who don't. That's the way that God loves us. And that's the way that we've been called to love each other. In fact, that's Jesus's vision for a fruitful life. This is Jesus's vision for a fruitful world. What is the world supposed to look like? What is it that we see in Genesis chapter two before sin enters into it? You see perfect unity and harmony between humanity, each other, and between God. Total and complete intimacy between God and man, and man and each other. There's no shame, there's no competition, there's no hurt, there's no suffering. God's vision for the world is us receiving his love for us and then us expressing our love towards others in the same way that he loves us. You know, I have kids, and so there's some things I understand now. I didn't understand how much it broke my parents' heart when I would fight with my sisters. Lord, they're like, Mom, Dad, they're wrong. Like, clearly... I'm right in this situation, they deserve this, I deserve this, like that's what it was about. I didn't love my sisters. I loved them in a general sense, They're family, I'm the only one that gets to be mean to them, nobody else, like that kind of a thing. But I didn't understand how much it breaks a parent's heart when their sibling, when their kids are fighting. I never understood how much it could break their parents' heart when someone has the ability to meet a sibling's need and they don't do it. I want my kids to love each other the same way I love them. That would bring such blessing to me if my children would learn to love each other and have that kind of compassion and mercy for each other that I have for them. Because I tell you what, they're not paying any bills. It's all me. I'm paying for everything. (laughs) It's costing me to have them in my house. It's costing me to love them. They need to learn to be costly in their love for each other. That's maturity not holding on to things and counting it as their own, but giving of themselves. And that's the way our Father feels for us. His great desire for human fruitfulness is that we would learn to love each other in the same way that our Father loves us. Because he does not love you more or less than anybody else. He fully loves you, and he fully loves me, and he fully loves the worst person on the face of this earth and he's called us to partner with him as people who are connected to him, him in us, his words in us, us remaining in his love, then that means us obeying his commands is that we have to learn to love each other just as Jesus loves us. What we see in Revelation 22 when Jesus returns and the fullness of his kingdom is here and all suffering and hurt and death and sin have all been put away, As We see this, the fruitfulness of this earth is God dwelling with us and us dwelling with each other in perfect love. All of us fully loving each other in the way that Jesus loves us. But that isn't just something that we are waiting for. It's something that we've been called into now because his kingdom, though we await the fullness of it, his kingdom is here and his kingdom is now. His spirit is in us, giving us the desires to live this kind of a life and not just the desire, because if you just had the desire, but not power from God to be able to live this out, you would be incredibly frustrated because you know what you're supposed to do, but lack the power to overcome the temptation to sin and actually be able to do it. God hasn't just stirred up the desire in our hearts to love each other as he loves us, us, but his spirit in us is also giving us the power and the ability to love each other the way that he loves us. You don't have it in you on your own, but Christ in you has the power to do that. And that's why you have to remain connected to him, because if you aren't in him and he isn't in you, you will not be able to love others the way that God loves you. You will be a branch that is cut off from the source of life, a branch cut off from the source of grace and mercy, and you will wither and you will die. You will produce no fruit. You might do some pretty incredible things in the eyes of other people. You might get a platform. Uh, You might make a lot of money. You might have a great retirement. You might have a lot of friends, but that is not a fruitful life. That is not the life that Jesus has called us into. He's called us into a life of abiding in him, remaining in him and the fruit that's produced in us as we do that is loving each other the same way that Jesus loves us. And it's not just that it's a command that we have, but it's actually an evidence, it's an evangelistic evidence inside of our lives. Because Jesus says this, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We've turned discipleship into, take a 10 a, you know, like week class, congratulations, stamp, diploma, you are a disciple of Jesus, now serve, give and attend. Congratulations, that's it. That's not discipleship. You ever read about like church membership or classes in the New Testament? No, you don't. <laughs> You read about discipleship. What is discipleship? That is where you have someone who you are learning to become like. You are learning to live like that person. You're learning to think like them. You're listening to their teachings. You're becoming obedient to their teachings. You're learning to walk like them, talk like them, think like them, and as you do that, you begin to act and to live like them. That's what you were called to be, a disciple of Jesus, someone who learns over time, and it doesn't happen in an instant, and that's why we give up, but it happens over a lifetime, every day, learning to live more like Jesus. But as you learn to live like Jesus, what happens is you begin to love like he loves. You begin to love other people and have your heart broken for the brokenness in our world, just like Jesus was. You begin to be willing to give up what you have so that others can have needs met. You begin to be someone who's willing to enter into suffering and into despair so that you can bring the glorious hope of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus to them. You begin to become someone who's able to come alongside others and demonstrate the real love of God to them because the love of God is what's inside of you. and it's what's flowing out of you. It says that when we learn to be a disciple of Jesus, not a convert who went through a class, but when you learn to become a disciple of Jesus, that is the proof and the evidence that you actually are a disciple of Jesus. When you learn not to memorize the 10 commandments, which you should, when you go through theology, which you should, it's not when you do blah, 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 which you should, it's when you learn to love each other as Jesus loves us, that becomes the proof and the evidence of our discipleship. To Jesus. And it says that the world will know. The church will know? No. The world will know that you are my disciple when you learn to love each other. We don't need a new evangelistic strategy. Jesus already gave us one. Learn to love each other the way that Jesus loves us and that will be the proof to the world around us that we are disciples of Jesus. It will be the proof to the world around us that the Jesus we preach as King, as God and Messiah, it's real because the proof is in the fact that our hearts have been changed And when they encounter us, when they encounter the church of Jesus Christ on the earth, they encounter the love of Jesus. And they can choose to accept it or reject it, but they will know what the love of God is like. They will know what a life transformed is like, and they will know that there's a place for them at our table. We must remain connected. He must remain in us. We must remain in his love, the good boundaries that he has given us so that we can be fruitful. And we must learn to obey the command to love each other just as Jesus loves us. Lord, your words are hard, but they're the words of life. Lord, I ask for the gift of faith in us. Faith being an allegiance to you, that we're fully submitted to you. Our hearts aren't given over to anyone else. And if you said it, we believe it. And if you said it, we'll become obedient to it. So, Lord, even if we don't know how right now we can learn to love others like you did, we believe that you can do that in us. And so, Lord, we pray for a broken heart in us. God, would you break our hearts for those who are around us so that we can truly learn to love each other. Jesus, I pray that you would deal with our pride and that you would give us humility so that we can learn to love each other in the same way that you loved us. Jesus, I pray that you would deal with the wrong loves that we have inside of our hearts, the things that our hearts have gone after instead of you. Jesus, would you deal with those? Jesus, I ask that you would open our eyes to see how great your love is for us, that it leads us to a place of greater faith in you, greater submission to you. We're willing to trust you and surrender lordship of our life over to you and follow after you in every way. We truly are willing to learn to be a disciple of Jesus and learn to live like you and think like you and act like you and be like you, to truly be your body here on this earth and ambassadors of Christ Jesus. God, would you teach teach us to do that and put new faith inside of us, that this is what we were appointed for, and it is what you can lead us into. Jesus, would you do that inside of us this morning? And God, would there be a great grace that you pour out over us, so that it's not just saying that we love other people, but every day, just as we're learning to love you more, every day we're learning to love each other more, Jesus. God, let the church of Jesus Christ be filled with the love of Jesus Christ and continue on the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth. God, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in Washtenaw County. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. Teach us to become obedient to this command. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna do something now. Is at the end of every service, we have a time to pray together. And I'll say this. I know that praying together can be weird, especially if you're new here. It's like, wait, what? Like, it was enough for me to slide on in through the roads, and now I just want to get out. <laughs> because uh, there's a bent inside of us for anonymity. I get that. I under, I'm an introvert. As soon as I get off the stage, I'm like, uh, like don't touch me like any of my... But <laughs> here's what I know. Prayer is normal in the church, and we need prayer. We need the encouragement. We need the ministry of others. And not just that, but others need your ministry. Um, We were praying at Sounds of the City on Friday night. It was so beautiful. There were people, they had real hurts and real needs in their life, and people just gathering together and praying over each other and demonstrating love. Uh, And I was in one of the groups, and I prayed in one, and I went to another one and I was just there and I didn't pray. You don't have to say anything. If you don't feel comfortable yet, like praying out loud for someone, I totally get that and that's fine. You don't have to pray out loud for someone, but there's a blessing that comes and a ministry that happens when you just gather around someone and you're there for them. That's a beautiful ministry, the ministry of your presence, being there, expressing love for them. If that's your starting point in learning how to pray in a group of people, that's a great starting point and it will bless others. So obviously you don't have to stay and pray, but we're gonna break up into groups now, like four to eight people. Allow yourselves to receive encouragement and prayer. Allow yourself to give prayer, encouragement and prayers for others and just bless them with your presence, if nothing else. But I encourage you, learn to grow in the place of prayer. Love you all, God bless, let's pray.